welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. And so you're going to be in a little bit of a meta world here. It's basically me and Nils having a conversation on the Meaningful Work podcasts. And the interesting thing is both me and Nils are co-hosts of this podcast. And on the Meaningful Work podcast, we are both co-hosts together with Fabiana. So it doesn't matter that much, but you're going to get a peek in with a different intro into the Meaningful Work podcast. But the topic is really, really important. And so that's why I'm double publishing it also here. We are going to be speaking about the RCO, the Regenerative Community Organism. That is the organizational design that me and Nils have been playing with and now are going to put into the world through Innerworks, which is a startup that we are running. And we'll talk more about that during the conversation. But nonetheless, the RCO is the Regenerative Community Organism, RCO. And this is an idea. This is uh, an experiment into how we could create more regenerative structures that could interact in a meaningful way with the capitalist system and start the transition. And the podcast will go into a lot of the details. We'll do a lot of explaining, but fundamentally the way that we see it, it's an invitation to co-create. Either if you have an organization where you've been thinking about the structure, if you want to find and do something different, or if you have been thinking about these topics and would like to think together with us, uh, all of those things are, of course, wonderfully welcome. So we're very curious to hear what comes out of this podcast. It's a very explicit invitation. If it resonates with you, please reach out. Please get in touch. We are on this journey of discovery and we would love to have more people along with it because we believe that unless there's a lot of us standing hand in hand on the shore, looking at the moon in the ocean, uh, we are not going to be able to see the truth. Uh, which is that the ocean is whatever the truth might be. But there's more of us needed in this exploration. And with that, there will be another intro, and then there will be a welcome to the Meaningful Work podcast. But don't worry, you're still on the World of Wisdom podcast, and eventually you'll be able to listen to the Meaningful Work podcast if it calls you. So uh, enjoy this conversation about the RCO. What is the point of this paperwork? What is the point of these meetings? What is the point of managers coming and going? You must gain balance within yourself before you can bring balance to the world. Sometimes I faltered. I had bad days. We need people to be human at work. We need ourselves to be human at work. What, what is, the point? is the point? Welcome to the Meaningful Work Podcast. My name is Nils. I'm your host today, and today's guest is another host, Amit. Welcome. Thank you, Nils. It's good to be here in this role. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you as a guest. This is going to be uh, interesting. Our intention for this episode is to explore meaningful work from the perspective of how to design and structure organizations for meaningful work. And we'll be uh, focusing on a specific way of doing that called the, the RCO, the Regener Regenerative Community Organism, which is something that you and I have been exploring and evolving, and it has been emerging through us for, I want to say, almost three years now. Yep. 
Is that, is that Sounds right? about right. It's almost three years, or maybe even more. We, we lost track of time. And I'll be interviewing you about this, about why, why and what. We won't go into all the nitty-gritty details. So if you're interested in learning all the details around the RCO, if this is something that connects with you, resonates with you, something you want to explore for your organization, there'll be more content around this. But this is an introduction and kind of the broad paintbrushes. And yeah, and we'll see what else we get into. Sounds good. So let's, uh, let's start. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna st- step back three years in time and pretend that I haven't been part of this process at all, and ask you, what is this about? Why Why is this? That's a good question. I uh, sometimes wake up in the middle of the night, sweaty, thinking, "What is this about? Why is?" No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> seriously, though, um, one of the things that when we look at the transformation that we are in as a society the transformation that we believe that we are in. Um, The one where our current paradigm is changing, is transforming. Uh, One of the main drivers for that shift or one of the main drivers for us being where we are is actually, a lot of people think that it's uh, it has to do with how companies are structured. And there is this uh, thing that was invented in the middle of the fifteenth, uh, I think, century or something like that, around the fifteenth century, in Europe. That was called first. It was called uh, you know double double bookkeeping uh, accounting, and then the uh, second thing that came with that was the limited liability corporation. And the key words here are the limited liability corporation, um, and to have a limited liability uh, naturally puts you outside of the whole of the world. And limited liability encourages you to take risks. That's exactly what it was designed to do, so that you could get together, a few of you take a risk that would be the money that you put in, but not all of the money that you owned. So you wanted to have a limited liability on the venture that you were doing. That was great back at that time because a lot of the stuff was exploration. So it was about going to the new world or it was about buying spice or doing this or doing that, these different ventures that were extremely risky. But it was uh, for them to get funded, for them to find funding, they invented this corporate form. And that has then sort of spiraled. And then we have fast forward, you know, a few hundred years and we're in a in uh, like I think out of the top ten largest nations in the world, uh, GDP wise, or like if you look GDP and market cap, I think we have like three or four or even five companies that are uh, as large. And these are entities that are not democratically run. They are uh, they do whatever they want to do. Uh, they are limited liability, so the people that run them, that manage them, do not have responsibility, not have a full responsibility of the stuff that they do. And of course, as we all know, we have lots of externalities, lots of issues in the world today with regards to like pollution, uh, biodiversity, loss or collapse or even mass extinction, uh, water, ways and ocean pumps that are not uh, working as they should and so forth. And a lot of this stuff has to do with companies maximizing profits. And so our inquiry, I think, was if we are supposed to build something again, because both of you and I have built companies before then how do we build that so that we are also accountable, fully accountable and fully in relationship with the entire system in line with the values that we try to promote in our systemic worldview and with the way that we see the world. And so 
we just thought, okay, there should be a way to do this. And then we started looking for solutions. I think that's sort of the very high level um, of why we started thinking about this in the first place. What would you add to that? I would, I would add to that. I think this is, this is a great summary that you're sharing about kind of the societal perspective and the overview. And what I'm feeling called to add is simply, I think the individual perspective uh, that you're, you're already speaking to a little bit, but after having started quite a few companies and then being a, a human being on a journey of self exploration and wanting to align myself even more with my path and purpose and want to bring more actual value into the world and help create a society that is regenerative, that can support both humanity and the planet that we inhabit and, and all of nature. And kind of through what I, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a founder, create, help create something that can sustain my children and their generation and future generations of, of human beings. I think an important perspective for me personally, and I see that in a lot of other founders and, and creators and art entrepreneurs, is that we wish to create something that is good, not only for ourselves, but for the environment that we are part of. And when creating that today, even if you have a, a beautiful purpose and you're coming from a place of really wanting to add value, you risk getting stuck in a system just because you put all of those intentions and that purpose and that energy and your resources and time into a mold that is called a company. And since that mold was created a long time ago and it, it doesn't really fit your purpose because it has another purpose by design. And that purpose is to maximize profit, for instance, and not to be fully integrated with its ecosystem and make sure that value and energy flows both ways then no matter how beautiful your purpose is at the beginning, you risk ending up in a place where you're no longer actually honoring that purpose first. And I think we see that in a lot of these huge corporations that I, for one, don't believe that they were created initially to become what they are today. There was, a, there was something else driving those founders. But when you place it, once again, when you place that energy into a system and over time it shifts the system changes what you have created into something that is probably not what you wanted to create to begin with and it just has all of these you could call them shadows you could call them you know negative aspects that come along with the mold with the framework that you're placing it into so we need a new framework not just one, probably. We need multiple new frameworks. We need to explore what the framework for organizations and companies can be to support what we actually wish to create. And, and that's what we're trying to do. Yep. What comes up for you when I, when I say that? I think what might be helpful is like there is this idea in facilitation and even in creation and, and like in a lot of different places, but it's been used mostly in facilitation. I think that's called liberating structures and um, you can find it. It comes through in a lot of different contexts and, and liberating structure is basically a structure 
that you use that guides your attention and directs your attention in such a way that you can be more creative. So like as you push up against these structures, as you follow these guidelines, the simple, very, very minimalist structures, then that allows you to be more creative. It allows you to redirect your attention. So that's what I'm hearing you speak about. Like when we talk about the existing paradigm, a lot has to do with uh, financial focus because that's what we have designed our corporations to protect. Uh, a lot has to do with control and risk minimization. If you look at the legal structures around the corporations, like which is we what we have done, um, a lot of the law is just saying you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. Like it's it's just a, a rule book for things that you are not allowed to do uh, because we have shown or it's we've we've seen that people have used those loopholes before to to uh, take money <laughs> from shareholders, particularly, and so. The shareholders have been a particularly protected bunch of people. And the law is then written just to uh, eliminate the worst outcomes. Uh, but the law doesn't say so much in most jurisdictions about what you're allowed to do. And so that's kind of what we're saying. It's like, okay, so we need to adhere to the law. That's like one thing, of course. Uh, and the second thing is like, what are the generative principles by which we want to create an organization that will actually be? thriving uh, or life-sustaining or life-generating even. So a regenerative organization, what does that look like? And um, I think one of the earliest provocations when I was like testing our first thoughts uh, with a friend, I was explaining the whole thing. And then she just retorted back to me. She's like, what are you trying to control for? Like, why do you need to control that stuff? And, and I think from that, we've been doing a lot of work, trying to scale away and look at what are the principles uh, that actually generate something and what are the principles that we can let go that are just sort of our fear being reiterated or like our old truths or biases or, or things that we thought this is the way that you have to do it. Uh, but a lot of that is just a result of like, because we've always done it, not necessarily for a particular reason. So I would say that the RCO is exactly what you're saying. It's a way for individuals to engage in work that's meaningful uh, and that the work is generating something for them individually, as in salary, they get paid. On top of that, we all contribute to this particular purpose of, of the organization. So we're kind of designed a way of giving the purpose back to the, to the organization itself. We are funding the purpose through the operations of a limited liability company. And then the third part is what we were talking about. Like we do want to invite uh, the company back into the ecosystem, back into the whole of the world, into the flow of life, so that the company uh, also from its legal sort of statutes, like how it's actually designed, uh, it, there is no such thing as an externality for an RCO. Uh, the RCO tries to take care of all of the waste products and all of the stuff that that uh, we produce and, and uh, that is a result of our operations. So it's like going back to this sort of ecological principle of like one, one system's waste is another system's lunch. Like that type of thinking should go into the design of, of the RCO. So those are the three things that we've tried to uh, put into, into you know, a legal framework. And I think we've succeeded pretty well. It's, it's pretty intriguing to see what, what's uh, possible. So just to summarize those three things in like one sentence each to make this clear and also the principles that we've chosen to focus on, how would you, how would you frame that? Ooh, 
that's a good that's a good one. I mean, we've said that we are looking at a communally purpose-driven organization uh, or organism. We are looking at an organism with a particular uh, life cycle. So we're saying that the, this this thing uh, should be relating to its surroundings uh, through its life cycle. And we are looking at fair value distribution. Those are the three sort of pillars that we've tried to design into this uh, RCO, the regenerative community organism. And to to just add to that, well, another perspective here, there are multiple perspectives we can add to this, but one is really that we're trying to mimic nature. Yeah. Right. We're, we're looking at, we're choosing the word organism instead of organization. We think it's a living thing that consists of, of human beings and ideas and, and energy in various forms, which could be information, it could be money, it could be various forms of, of assets. Um, and by looking at it as an organ as an organism, kind of by by default, because we have this experience of being organisms, and I live in an environment, right? I live in an ecosystem, and I am part of it. And energy is flowing through me back and forth into the ecosystem. So I'm breathing air, and I'm exhaling, and I'm I'm eating things, and I'm you know going to the bathroom. Things are flowing through me, and whatever whatever is coming out of me brings energy to another part of the ecosystem, to other organisms in the ecosystem. And that's what we're trying to honor. And also it's a, it's not an internal, an, an eternal experience. I get born. I am born. I grow up. I become the organism that I am. And eventually I die. And when I die, then all of the remaining energy inside me, kind of goes into the surrounding ecosystem again. So instead of looking at an organization as a machine, as a factory, as something that we put nuts and bolts together, it becomes a machine or a robot. We look at it as a living thing, as part of nature, as part of an ecosystem. And then we design the structure and the, the life cycle of this organization from that viewpoint. Uh, and then we, what we make sure though is that it actually connects to the current paradigm, the current legal system. So it works today. It's not just a utopian idea of wouldn't it be great if everything worked like this. It's something that we think and believe actually works in most jurisdictions today. Yep. Just just to add, like so we the first RCO that we know of is is going to be Innerworks, uh, which is the company that we're starting or the RCO that we're starting. And um, InnerWorks is focused on meaningful work and self-awareness, uh, as you know by now, also by listening at this uh, on this podcast. Uh, so, and this idea of self-awareness that kind of permeates everything. It's like if we are more aware of how we move and what sustains us, what feeds us, what makes us grow, then we can consciously move in that direction and, and keep searching in that direction. And again, we're just looking for the minimum design principles for more people to join into that search and enrich that search and enrich this organism. So I know you like to talk about us as cells, human beings as cells. And one could think about that too. It's like if one cell would like dominate the whole thing that doesn't work, it's more all of us working together and we don't want to optimize for the particular cell or like particular cluster of cells. We do want to optimize for the entire body. So it's like, it's this old principle that's like 
very clearly like come through in like both lean production systems and in agile it's like when you want to optimize for anything you should optimize for the largest possible chunk that you can look at because anything that you optimize for on like any other level is going to lead to inefficiencies in the system so it's like we, we try to direct the attention to the purpose and direct to the the purpose of this organism our collective purpose the reason for why we are stepping into contributing to this organism. So it's a completely different way of looking at it. It's not like I go to work to do the work and then I go home and live, but rather there's an invitation for everybody to show up as the full selves that they are with all of their quirks and whatever, all of their diversities, all of their multiple personalities. And then in that um, sort of the organism itself is becomes richer. And and there's more of it. And so we have more potential in the organization uh, as a result of, of everybody showing up as them full as their full selves. And the again, the design of the organization, the design of the organism is uh, hopefully <laughs> that's what we're trying to do, uh, is uh, something that will enable and further enrich uh, that possibility and therefore it would make it stronger so like business sense even you said like it has to adhere to the current system but it also has to be able to win in the current system so we're like adding more values other than just the financial capital we're just like we're doing more more development there's more value there like on the social and the spiritual and probably natural and and also relational side um, that uh, that we're inviting through this uh, design so let's uh, let's flow flow through the RCO, um, potentially using Innerworks as an example to make this as concrete as possible for anyone listening. Whether you're a founder, a potential founder, founder, just someone doing work in in any capacity. So it starts with purpose, right? And for Innerworks, you just outline what the purpose is for that that company uh, called Innerworks. Um, Let's start there and and take us through it. You guide us through it, and I'll I'll add and ask questions. Um, yeah. What, what's next? How does it work? So the backbone of this thing are two legal entities. I'm just going to start there because it helps you structure something, see something maybe. One is a limited company, and one is an associ- association. And what we are doing there is connecting these two with one collective purpose, one purpose that sort of overarches both of these. And we do that in a document that we call the source code, but that could also be seen as a constitution or something like that. But this is basically a document outlining what do we do? Why do we do it? Uh, what are the things that we believe in that are inside that want to contribute to this organization's growth and thriving? Um, and uh, yeah, so we have the source code and we have these two entities that are that are in there. So it's a source code and then a limited organization and an association. That's kind of the very first backbone. And the source code itself is uh, as short as it possibly could be. Speaking of these liberating structures, that's the principle. As little structure as possible, uh, but still with clear direction. Clear, like m- clearly pointing to the mountaintop that you want to climb, that you intend to climb, to start climbing at least. And then these two, these are translated into the legal documents needed for these two 
organizational forms. So it'd be the bylaws for the association. It would also be the bylaws for the company. I think that's called the bylaws, right? Uh, let's let's allow people to Google that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the legal documents that are needed to set up a company, right? Yeah. So it'd be like shareholder agreement. And you have share, bylaws, shareholder agreements. Yeah, bylaws. Yeah. And then there would be the the instructions for how the board and the management is supposed to interact with, with the other entities of the um, organization, of their limited company. So you basically have a purpose statement in a document and any other additions that are seen as important to that, and it gets translated into legally viable documents for a limited company and a nonprofit association. And what are the different roles of these two entities? Why do we use both of them? Good. Thank you. Um, so we use, basically we have, we believe that the limited liability company is excellent at doing certain things. It's really good at like focusing attention and concluding projects and like driving and really completing things. Um, the way that we have structured the financial markets and the capital markets that makes the limited liability company excellent for like collecting resources and like driving towards something. So that's what we're going to let the limited liability company do. So that, that works as any other company that you would see in the world today. You know, it could be the biggest unicorn or, or whatever, a family company or whatever it might be. It depends on how you set it up as a founder, what your ambitions are and so forth. But it's just a normal limited liability company, uh, fundamentally, with a couple of differences. So one of the things that we said before is that these if you think about companies, they are not democracies. They are definitely extremely hierarchical organizations, typically. Uh, there are, of course, now like sociocracy and holacracy and like a number of different things that are starting to try to change and access more of the collective in, uh, intelligence. But traditionally, these are very hierarchical organizations that we're dealing with. And someone is deciding, that's typically the CEO, and the CEO reports to a board, and the board reports to the shareholders. That's sort of the way that these things go. And the CEO and the management team, there are professionals, they're hired to run the company. They could have a stake in the company, but they don't need to have a stake in the company. Um, they are, like I said, professionals that are hired to do a particular job. The board is there to supervise the management team. So the CEO and his management team reports to the board, and the board is there to make sure that the shareholders uh, wishes are fulfilled, whatever they may be. So there is there like an, uh, a guiding document from the shareholders saying that this is what you should look at, board. And what we've done there is to make sure that the purpose is front and center. We've also made sure that the board is responsible partly for the financial aspects of the company, but also for how well the company actually fulfills its purpose and that the company provides, works, does its business in an ethical way. So we have used the UN Earth Charter as the backbone for saying that this should be done in an ethical way. So it means that you cannot pollute, you cannot use child labor, you cannot do, I mean, a, a number of basic things, like basic decency things uh, that you uh, make sure that the board also controls, that the management is adhering to. And then you have the, the shareholders on top and they're kind of, providing money and resources uh, or, or time uh, initially, potentially. Um, but they are not so involved in the, in the actual business. So among the shareholders are the association. 
the association has a small stake in the company. It has 10% of stake in the limited liability company. The association is a, a non-profit association and they are there to actually do... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, before, before shifting focus mm-hmm. to the association, one way to just potentially summarize this is that the company, the limited company, allows us to turn our purpose and our ethics into business. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then it's connected in the way you just uh, outlined to the, the nonprofit association. There's, there's, the association is a shareholder. That is one of the ways that this is connected. And now, yeah, continue from here. Good. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, so, so as a shareholder, you have a small stake uh, as the association. The association, is, it needs to work as its own association. So it needs to work on the basis of any nonprofit association where engaged people that are passionate about a purpose show up to actually do something. And they could be paid for their work or they could be working voluntarily. doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, but the association exists to fulfill a purpose. It doesn't exist for the economical benefit of the members. That's a really important distinction to make. Um, but this association, it owns 10% of the shares. Uh, in return, the association uh, commits to uh, appointing 50% of the board. So the association on one end gets a really big say over this company. 50% of the board seats are appointed by the association. So, And the association cares for the purpose. That's kind of the, the heart of the design here. The association is passionate about what they do. The, associ- the people in the association are their members as individuals, um, and they really want this purpose to be furthered in the world and, and that it should take place in the world um, as it is. And so, therefore, they uh, will appoint the best board members that they could potentially do that would balance the financial performance with the purpose and the ways that the company runs its business. So that's, they're there to safeguard that particular thing. But as a shareholder, yeah, they're a minority shareholder. They only have 10%. And so the founders and the financial investors are still going to have control of the company and, and get most of the dividends and most of the return from the company. Uh, but they have this outsized power in, in uh, attributing the board. So you have these two entities. They're both separate. They're doing their own thing. The company is doing company stuff and the association is doing association stuff. And yet they're interlinked. And the association is looking after the purpose because that's what the association does best. And the company is looking after the profit stuff because that's what the uh, company does best. So what do you want to add? <laughs> What I want to add, I, I don't think I want to add much, but um, once again, again, to kind of yeah, put it into short, short sentences. So if the, if the company connects our purpose and our ethics to business or turns it into business, then it's connected to the nonprofit association. And the association uh, basically connects our purpose to community and society, in a sense. It's, it's open. Like anyone can step into the association, anyone who's interested in this purpose. It allows us, what it allows us to do is to also connect people that are driven by different things. So if you're the entrepreneur, if you want to create business, you want to do business, then you can still do that. 
can still have that drive. You don't have to let go of that inner drive that you have. You can still create your company, the limited company, and you can set it up as an RCO and allow it to be connected to more purpose, more of society, more of community. And if you're on the other end, you're not the entrepreneur. You're not that interested in, in running business, but you believe in the same purpose as the founder of that company. Then you can you can join on the association side of things. You can be a member of the association. And the association doesn't really do the business, right? It 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 promotes the same purpose, but from an association point of view, which you're you've already spoken to in I think a very clear and beautiful but way. It's good. So we're connecting drives. Sorry. Yeah, go it's ahead. good to just clarify that what you just yeah. said. That, that's really clear. That's good that you, you mentioned that. Because I mean what does the association do? So they could run events. They could run like PR, they could run lobbying basically, but like lobbying for the cause of the actual um, of, of of the actual purpose of this entity, the RCO. Um, they could fund research projects. They could uh, apply for, let's say, EU funding or run different um, you know initiatives that would further this that wouldn't make sense from a business point of view because you couldn't necessarily capitalize on it, but uh, that you could do for the actual purpose to further the purpose uh, in the world. So that's that's the logic as well. So the the association does not have, like you say, a business acumen. It doesn't have a profit motive, but it can still because it's an association. It's a it's an incorporated form of people. You can run a number of different activities uh, that the members that are contributing to they would get paid for uh, as as working for any you know sort of nonprofit association. You could get paid for that. It doesn't have to be ideal work or like nonprofit work for you personally, but it's not to to make financial resources. That's the job of the company, so to say. Good, and and to make this concrete, in in our case, the first RCO, uh, talk a little bit about the company. You've done that a little bit, but maybe a little bit more, and the association in this specific RCO that we're starting out with. Right. And so intending to keep it super short and not get bogged down into details. But what Innerworks is going to be doing is it's going to be offering uh, both products and services to companies in a company context that uh, helps them develop their meaningful work and develop their um, self-awareness. So we believe that self-aware companies are going to be able to navigate and perform a lot better in this world. A lot of research is pointing to that particular fact. So that's the capability that we want them to uh, be able to engage with. And we do that through working with consultants that are specialists in different modalities and different ways of working. And we do that through tools. So like it could be pulse measurement or like checking in with your employees, how they're doing, how their engagement is. Uh, you could do assessments or you could do, you could decide like, you know, check in like how developed are we? What type of things do we need to develop? Like there are a number of things that we want to do with different tools uh, that would allow us to build better businesses that are more efficient and effective and profitable in this world that we currently live in. So that's, that would be the business idea of Innerworks. Yeah. And then the association. The association in this point is has the same focus it has it believes that if we have more self-awareness in our society as individuals as teams uh, as organizations as however we show up in society um, we will live in a better society 
we live in a more sustainable society, a healthier society, a society less depressed and and less anxious, perhaps. Um, and so the association would be, let's say, a, an industry association for maybe for inner workers. We could say that, like people that are concerned with and work with and are are engaged in inner transformation or transformative work in organizations. Uh, they could come into the association and and uh, gather there. Um, we would run, you know, seminars and events like. The Meaningful Work Day is one example for InnerWorks that we're going to be running. It's like a day where we talk about what are the cutting edge practices in uh, getting us to do more meaningful work, which we believe is important. Um, we could run, let's say, research. Uh, we could use the data that comes out of the users from the uh, from the company. That would be sort of contributed to researchers that would be working for the association, for instance, so that they could make even better models or, or uh, understand better how we work as humans and so forth. So anything to further the idea that uh, how do we build and create and uh, motivate people to engage more in understanding themselves and therefore becoming more self-aware. And so how do we, how do, we do that? Um, the Awareness Association could also be doing I think we're intending to search for, for instance, funding from the EU to be running like collaborative projects between different actors across the EU uh, to also share and, and disseminate best practices of these types of things. So it's really a wide scope uh, on everything that is not sort of directly profit-making, but still contributing to the overall cost of increasing awareness in society and in companies and in people. Cool. So this is the starting point of the RCO, of any RCO. And, and once again, I think it's worth mentioning that this holds the potential to garner more engagement, to connect more engagement, to connect people that are driven by different things, whether it's the entrepreneur or kind of, in a sense, the activist or, or whatever you want to call the person that really just wants to promote a specific purpose. And there are potential synergies in connecting these things. So on the business side of things, by being connected to an association of, of members, of human beings, that's all of those are potential ambassadors for your business, right? So there's a way for people to, to connect and support with your business, not because you know they make money from you, but because they work for the same purpose as you do. And it's clearly stated and it's actually connected legally. And then from the association point of view, then the business runs business. And if that is successful, the business gets money. And part of that money, as we get into, can be fed into or kind of sent into the association to fund even more work, even more initiatives that supports the, the shared purpose of the, the company and the association. So it's a starting point that allows us to be who we are, be driven by what we're driven by and connect through purpose primarily, no matter where we want to attach ourselves to the RCO structure. Anything to add to that? And then my next question is, then what? Then what happens when we, when we start looking at a life cycle? No, I think that was great. And, and, and then exactly like you said, the life cycle, we haven't talked too much about the life cycle yet, but you alluded to it before when you said, we don't believe that organizations is just, should just be around eternally. Uh, we don't believe in this idea of going concern, which is exactly what we believe in in a lot of the current capitalistic module 
Um, we rather would like something to work and fulfill its purpose. And then once it's fulfilled, uh, go away and distribute the resources. So again, borrowing from nature. Um, and so what we've described now is kind of the starting point, the jumping off point, and that's what we call the sprouting phase. So probably at this point, it's a small organization and the small organization in order to be viable, to be regenerative, to have some impact, it needs to grow. So that's what happens in the sprouting phase. And that also means that in the, uh, in the initial design, you only have 10% of shareholding uh, for the association. So the association is not primary. The association has to stand on its own legs. It has to have enough members to sustain itself financially for the activities that it wants to undertake. It needs to find sponsorships and like fund itself, basically. At the same time, the, uh, the limited company is going to be trying to build its business. So that means maybe taking on investors. It means maybe uh, growing organically. Who knows? That's up to the founders to decide. But uh, whatever the business accumulates, it's probably going to reinvest in the business. And that's just sound because at this point, we just need to gather some mass and like grow this thing. So that's what happens in the sprouting phase. These two entities are connected and they do this job of, of appointing the board. The, the association appoints the board in the business side. Um, and the business side is accountable to and transparent towards the association. So it makes sure that when it grows, it grows ethically and sustainably. And then something happens. So after a while, uh, probably a few years, uh, we have uh, the business starts saying like, okay, so we, we have enough mass. We are at a point now where we, we can't invest all of the money that we're making. Uh, we need to uh, start thinking about how we distribute this. There are probably other things that the purpose needs at this moment than what we are covering in our purpose of the business because the purpose of the business is kind of a limited if you look at a venn diagram it's like a smaller circle inside a larger circle which is the overall purpose which is the purpose that the association holds um, and so they say okay we need to start siphoning off or like ch transferring funds into the association and this is this is basically a mechanism that's been done up front uh, and it's been transparent to all of the financial stakeholders. And the financial stakeholders have gotten to say, okay, if I'm going to make this investment in this type of a risky business, then I'm going to need 5x or 10x of, of money back. Um, and then that's what they get. That's the negotiation that you make with your financial investors. But then once you've done that, once you've given them that return, then the other stuff goes back to the association. And so I don't think we're going to get into today like how that exactly happens. But there are a couple of paths for us to transfer money from the business. Let's say profits that are not needed in the business, they could be transferred into the association uh, quite cleverly in a couple of ways. So you're basically funding the association so that the association can then say, let's start looking around in the world and see who else or who among us, among our members, wants to run a project a business, probably, uh, that would then um, contribute to our purpose, basically. So you, you create resources for the association to become the center of uh, a number of different ventures that are contributing to the purpose uh, that you've set out together uh, through different means, through different ways. It might be a different customer group. It might be a different way. It might be a support thing or a tool or whatever it might be. There are a couple of different things that they could be doing. Um, 
but basically you're creating uh, an investment company, a vehicle inside of the association that uh, helps it invest into the purpose and, and strengthen the purpose through other startups or through other companies and connecting to other companies. So this is the, now we're talking about the second phase. Uh, we call the second phase the, mat the maturing phase. And um, to clarify, make it simple, what we're saying is you add a, a specific trigger that says or signals that the maturing phase has begun. So in, in our case, those triggers are one, that you have a specific turnover that you kind of predefine that when the company reaches this level of turnover, then that's a signal. And the other signal that we've added in this case, but this could be different in different cases, right? But is that, uh, that we're cash flow positive or neutral. So when those two things are true, then we're saying we're now entering the uh, maturing phase when this transition starts happening. And it's different to your point. We're not going to go into it, but it's different depending on what jurisdiction you're in. If you're in Germanic or Anglo-Saxon jurisdiction, there are different ways you can do this. But uh, basically, we start flowing energy, in a sense, back to the association. So not only is the company growing, growing stronger, the association is growing stronger, in a sense, um, more sustainable for life uh, through that process. But let's, let's leave that because it takes us into a lot of detail, yeah. right? For sure. But just to keep painting that picture that we started out with, we're saying like we have the soil, which is probably the association. And then this little sprout is coming up, which is the company, and it needs to grow. And now it's like starting to grow a stem. It has some leaves. It has a flower. It has a couple of flowers even maybe. And then it says, okay, so now it's time for me to start really growing the roots and growing the soil and strengthening the soil by, by pushing resources back into the soil so that I can store them there for another day. And, and what happens then with the soil is that it's like it becomes receptive for all these other seeds that could potentially uh, sprout. And so that would be the kind of the general idea that, that uh, when other seeds land in the soil of the association, then they could sprout and they could take hold and there could be some nutrients that's transferred from the bigger plant, which would be Innerworks in our case, uh, back to these other initiatives that still make sense for the whole ecosystem to, to uh, think about and to worry about. And so... We're trying here to like really build a forest or a meadow or or whatever you want to uh, use as an analogy for a garden. This thing. A garden, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's the second phase. The third one is called the succession phase, and and I'll let you speak to that. But just kind of an entry point uh, to keep building and painting the picture that that you're painting here is that this organism once again consists of cells, right? And these cells are are human beings and individuals, and some of them come in from the association side as, as members of the association and they they can come and go and then you have cells on the company side you have employees you have clients you have partners but then you also have the the founders of the company that play a, an important role but as we all know when it comes to companies there are certain things you know points in the lifetime of a company where succession can happen where a company gets sold for instance and and ownership and in a sense, control changes. So I think that's potentially a, an entry point into the succession phase. And, and a question is, how, how do we look at that type of process when those things play out in a company? Yeah. So, so what we're saying, what you're saying is that at a certain point in a company's life cycle, um, it's going to serve the company to uh, 
have a different ownership structure or to, yeah, to basically uh, be funded in a different way, probably. Um, and either you could do that as what we call an exit to purpose. That's one, one option. So the association says, hey, this company is so important in what it does so that it makes sense that we own the whole thing. And then you make that happen. So you can make an exit to the purpose, to basically to the association. Um, another way of doing that would be an IPO, which is very common to say like, hey, we want to serve a large uh, uh, body of people. We want the, the, the best way to serve this company is that a lot of people can actually take share, uh, hold shares and, and take part as owners uh, and that we get ownership in. And so then you would do an IPO. And that would probably be given the regenerative focus and so forth, that's probably the trickiest part. That's, that's the most uncertain because there's so many rules and regulations around IPOs and being on a stock exchange and being a public company. So that that is, uh, let's say, a, it's a possibility, but it might or might not be uh, fully viable. You'd have to make some adaptions and changes when that time comes. But the idea is basically saying that a lot of the companies that are the most profitable today are companies that are publicly listed but they are uh, owned by a strong family uh, business. So like H&M in Sweden or uh, a number of those type of companies that are, they have, they have a controlling stake of a really strong founder that cares for the long and longevity and the long-term perspective of the company. So the association could be that, that, uh, that owner, that shareholder. And then on top of that, you would have uh, the uh, the uh, other shareholders that would support with funding and with other things that you would you know gain from an IPO, for instance. And then, of course, there are other ways. But but the idea here is that the founders are they've done their thing. They're not going to be the most useful anymore. It could also be like some sort of management buyout that the the management team of Innerworks are really engaged and really want to drive this and they are the best capable people to actually drive and grow and make this thing thrive, then they should be the, the drivers. And then you still have the association involved or not even. So there are different ways here to success, uh, to make a succession of the company. And those are all pretty standard, I think. There's nothing real innovative about, about that. It's just whatever serves the company best, that's what we are going to be recommending and, and voting for. Yeah, and then whether succession happens or not, um, the fourth phase is called the dying phase. Yep. So let's so let's let's talk about dying. <laughs> let's talk about dying. Yeah, I mean this is this is a very what we believe in is that companies appear uh, because of uh, a specific need. So of course the company has a purpose, but we see that purpose because it's needed in the world today, right now, and. There is this, I, I love to take the example of the Sufi schools. Sufi is a mystic tradition within the, I think that within, within Islam. And uh, Sufism is basically, uh, they, they do schools and they do schools that are time limited. So they start, they pull up, put up the whole school. They run the school for five years. Even if it's super successful and everybody's really happy, they just pick the whole thing apart and then they build it again if they want to start it again. But that way, they readapt to the new circumstances. And that's what we believe a lot as well. That's what we see in a lot of the change work, a lot of the literature around transformation of organizations is that you cannot really get rid of or, or transcend the, the heritage that you have for better and for worse. Sometimes that's really good. And sometimes that's a challenge. So what we want to do is to offer a possibility for an organization that has outlived its purpose to uh, basically decompose to really give all of the nutrients back into the soil. So in this case, 
we are, uh, if, if, if the association is the soil, then the soil goes up on a truck uh, and it goes there with all of the other compost. And this whole thing just becomes really super nutritious soil that can go anywhere in the world and then refertilize it. So it would basically, uh, you, we, the way that we've imagined that this would happen is that the nonprofit association becomes a foundation. And then there's some really interesting research showing that foundations that are not just reinvesting the interest so that they are there forever, but foundations that are time limited, they do a lot of good work. Uh, so what we're saying is that you create an annuity. So over the next 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, you give back all of the financial resources that were accrued through this process of the RCO, RCOing uh, with one RCO uh, limited company or several, whatever it might be, whenever the association says, okay, we're done. We don't have a purpose to be here anymore. Maybe everybody knows already we're self-aware enough or the world has changed in such a way that it's not important to do this thing anymore. Something else is more important. Then you dissolve the organization and you fund projects that are in the spirit of the purpose, but that are in a more correct or in a better uh, position to actually do more good in the world, to actually further the purpose further, given the uh, uh, context, the changed context that they are now in. So this foundation pays out all the money. And once all the money is paid out and all of the people are fired and everybody's free from this organization, this organism, then um, we have refertilized the ground and we have built the conditions for more life to be created, but just in a different form. Uh, so that's that's sort of the idea and the life cycle that we have uh, imagined. Yeah. So you you covered not only the fourth phase here, but also the fifth that we call the fertilizing phase. So once again, the fourth phase is that we know we're dying. There's no more energy. Nobody wants. No people don't believe in the association anymore. It, it, to your point, it's it has played out its role and its purpose, and. And we believe that everything will die. It's not that we just think things should die. It's that we don't see any, any, anything that points to that, that something can live forever or exist forever. It's kind of the, the sign of this universe is that things are born and then die. So, um, and there hasn't been one company created that will be eternal. So everything will die. And as it's doing that, then once again, just to be super clear is that you take any remaining funds and assets from the association, you set up a time-limited foundation, takes over all of those assets and funds, and with its only job is to redistribute that into the surrounding ecosystem at the time, which could be projects, initiatives, organizations, individuals, whatever is relevant at the time that serves the same or a very similar purpose that, are, that is relevant at, at that time. And, and then what we've done is that We've allowed as much energy and engagement as possible to flow into this thing through purpose, whether you're a founder or an activist, whatever you want to kind of call association members, uh, and then allow the organization to, to live its life as an organism, to grow up, to feed energy back into its soil, into the association, to make more purpose-driven initiatives possible and then at a certain point when this thing is no longer relevant to die and refertilize the ground and its surrounding ecosystem at that point in time and that concludes the rco yeah right yeah and just to to actually point out one more thing is like of course it's people and money that we would be putting back into the soil but it could also be 
you know, IP that you would make open source or, or make, make available to other people. It could be uh, products or it could be, you know, code or whatever it might be that the, this entity has created. And all of that could be made available in the way that best serves the purpose at that time. So just to make, make that explicit as well. But otherwise, yes, that's it. Great. And now traffic is increasing and, and neighbors are coming home. So I'm, get, I'm, getting, I'm getting noise into the recording. Yeah, that, there's a multiple signals that, that we should probably end here. Is there anything else? I, I feel complete. Is there anything else you want to add to, to this? And maybe particularly if people are, if listeners are curious to learn more and get even deeper into exploring the RCO or similar models. Yeah. So I think, I mean, two things that I wanted to just kind of wave very uh, indistinctly at. Uh, but one thing is what we've alluded to that the association and the limited company initially that's a that's a two like a, a, a dual unity it's two things um, but you could also see the association as a centerpiece and then you could have multiple limited companies connected to it as a flower or or with different petals of the flower if you will so there are possibilities to make that happen uh, another thing that we are thinking a lot about of course is like the digitization and like the new types of uh, technology that allows companies to organize and to to incorporate in different forms. So like the DAOs or the principles around DAOs, for instance, discos and DAOs and all of that stuff. So there are multiple possibilities to translate the RCO also into that sort of blockchain or, or that Web3 type world. Um, and and there, we've done some thinking on that, but we're not going to go into it right now. I just wanted to wave generally at those two possibilities as well explicitly. And then uh, there's going to be a website. That's called, what's it called? RCO.life? RCO.life. RCO.life. Um, and that'll be up shortly. And there we're going to be doing some more sort of nuts and bolty type of content. So we'll do this particular thing with a presentation, with some slides, and we might do some deep dives into different life cycle phases and like a number of different things. And that's also where you could reach out to us because I think that's probably the best way at the moment to reach out and let us know what type of content do you need? What type of questions do you have? Like we are exploring this with a number of companies and we are doing it ourselves in our own startup. And there's quite a bit of interest and, and quite a lot of really, really interesting topics that we would love to get involved with and see if we can figure out. So the RCO is not a set thing. It's a very dynamic and alive thing. And we are kind of figuring it out as we go. There are multiple ways of interpreting and translating the thoughts that we've had. Uh, we're thinking in terms of these liberating structures. And so there are different possibilities that you can take the next step. And we would love for next steps to be taken. And we would love to be part of those next steps if you would have us. So also, uh, we'd love to think together. And if there is more than that that needs to be done, then we can figure out ways to do that. So... Um, I think that's that's pretty much it. But the RCO.life is the going to be the hub for it. And other than that, reach out to us personally. Like LinkedIn comments will be LinkedIn uh, or whatever. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure out some way of, of posting our contacts in the, in the show notes, I think. Connect with us. I think on the website, there'll, there'll be a way to connect with us as well. Cool. I, I think we're complete. Thank you. Uh, what great, is the point uh, of this to host what is the point of this meeting? This, what is the point uh, of managers coming and going? You must gain balance within yourself before you can bring balance to the world. Sometimes I faltered. I had bad days. We need people to be human at work. We need ourselves to be human at work.